Imagine. <laughs> Moses has a congregation, you could say, of about two to three million people. And that you've been, he's been responsible for these people for a whole year now. And they've gone through some tremendous change in their lives. From being in Egypt into bondage and slavery and just as we would see it and equate that to sin in their life that has just been burdensome and just ravaging their, their lives internally. And then God takes this man, uses this man Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and God is doing all the work. He's literally leading them out of, and has a plan of action. And Moses is just waiting and listening to wait for the Lord to tell him what to do next. Because he has no clue. And enemies are coming after him. Natural barriers of the Red Sea is right there for the enemies to trap them. And God makes a way through that. No water. No food. And God provided God gave a direction in their lives. And those two to three million people had no clue. And neither did the leader, Moses, who got appointed overseeing them to lead them to the promised land. He did not have a full clue. He only was obedient to what God gave him at that point. That's all he could handle. And even that, he wasn't sure if he could handle. And led him to the next step. But it's God's people. But when you have a size of a group of congregation like that of two to three million people, one of the biggest challenges is, is the heart of the people. Sometimes the hearts of the people are complainers. We learned that last week. or two, Yeah, last week. The, a complaining heart. We saw there in, in, uh, in chapter 11 where he had to deal with these these people, these Jewish believers who were on the outskirts of the camp in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 and having to deal with their complaining. You know, those people who are in the congregation who really is part of it, but they're not part of it. They're just kind of in the fringes. They're kind of uh, stand at a distance. They're here and they're not there. And you wonder if they're part, still coming to the church or not. It's these outers, outer people as he had to deal with. And they were complaining. Then we saw in verse what? Verse 4, the mixed multitude, the non-Jewish, the non-Jewish people who probably came out with them out of, the, out of Egypt because they said something's going on in this. Their God is really powerful and I don't know what he's doing, but I'm going to hang around him because there's a lot of benefit hanging around these Christian people. So we'll just hang around because we can get some benefits from them. And they complained they didn't have meat. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to their old life because it just seemed so much better. That's how the flesh works. That's how the enemy works. Always when things don't go the way you want them to be and you don't think God is actually looking out for you because you don't know if he's a really a good, good God because you really don't have a close relationship with him, you're going to go back to the world because the world will always entice you to go back to think the old life, the old way you were living was always grand. When actually you forgot you were in bondage and you were dying. You're on your way to hell. You forget these things when you, when you think you're, you're moving one way and then it's like you think you want to go back to the old life and you just like you forget the details. 
You only remember the fond things of life. This is what, this is what Moses, the leader of this congregation, had to deal with. And then all the people got involved. It never stops with just a few people. If it keeps continuing, it will spread like a, like a cancer in, around to everybody else. But we see Moses is dealing with this tremendous responsibility in leading God's people. And we find in verse 11 of chapter 11, Moses knows that the Lord has allowed the weight of burden of his people on him as a leader. And that is a tremendous weight of responsibility that this man had. To a, such a point that Moses, we see in verse 15, the weight brought Moses to a point of a final, I'm handing in my resignation, I am done with this thing. And talk about a final resignation. It wasn't some little piece of paper. It wasn't scratching it in the, in the sand saying, I resign God. I no longer want to lead these people. He says, what does he say in verse 15? God, please kill me here and now. <laughs> now that's a final res- That's a final, final deal. I'm done with this place. When you start talking like that, that is not good. That was an emotional moment of Moses. His emotions, his flesh drove him to a point of such despair, he could not see himself how this was all, his life was, this is it, this is horrible. But we see here, unfortunately, he had to deal with the outer fringe clique that was sitting there and complaining. Then we saw the mixed multitude. They were clicking over here in the congregation. They were clicking and murmuring and complaining and doing the whispering of complaining. And you'd think God says, okay, come on, Moses. We're going to get up. We're, going to get, we're moving. We're going to the promised land. We're ready to move on. It's been a year since we've been traveling. Now it's three days. We're, we're, we're going to be traveling here. We knew the three days he was taken to the next destination. Do you think it stopped there? No, this is where we pick up in verse 12. It gets worse for Moses. Not better. Notice. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. How does it get worse? It gets worse when you're now the attacks, the rebellion, the complaining comes from family. It's a personal attack on his life. It's part of the inner circle that's closest to him now becomes the ones rebelling and complaining and trying to go against him. That is when it really, really hurts. Because it will, court, it will cut you right to the core and we will see uh, it, how that can happen. And it never, never is good. Because this is the most serious and deep attack that Moses was going to experience here because it is coming from his family. Why? You know Miriam. Notice Miriam's name is before for the big brother's name, Aaron. Miriam was Moses' older sister. Do you remember back in Exodus? Remember when he was a little a wee little baby? Who was, the, who was the one that was following and watching and seeing uh, the mom put 
little Moses, baby Moses, in the little basket that had the tar and stuff so it would float on the Nile River and float, and God guided it to Pharaoh's daughter. Do you remember that? Miriam's the one it watched. Miriam's when it went back and went to the Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, I know a Jewish woman who could nurse and take care of this baby until old enough, then you can bring her back to you. God used Miriam to use that and go get mom, Moses' mother, to be the one that was the maidservant to take care of him up to an age where now the Pharaoh's daughter would take care of him. This Miriam. Miriam, who's been with them through this whole trials and tribulations and the growth and the change and moving out of Egypt. This is someone that is near and dear here. Who's Aaron? Aaron's the oldest brother, remember. He is the high priest of this congregation. He was the spiritual giant and representative of all the people. He was complaining and rebelling against the leader of this congregation that God had appointed. These are the two people we're talking about. So this is why it's the most serious. It's not those in the out fringes of people who kind of come and go once in a while from it. It's not the mixed multitude who are even non-believers, but they kind of show up because they have, they're like wolves and they're, and they're just looking for some gain and some way to get something out of the church. No, no, no. These are people who are in leadership positions in the congregation that's leading, help leading the people. That's when it gets really bad. That's when it's bad. And then you, on top of that, it's actually Family. And it's not like Miriam and Aaron was sitting back doing nothing, just kind of going with the crowd of two to three million, were they? Miriam was a prophetess. God had given her the ability to prophesy and to lead the women to worship and, and, and be ministering to the women. Aaron was the high priest. He had a calling. He had a plan and a purpose that God had for him. It's not like they didn't have something to do for God, that God had appointed them to do. But here's the problem. They had selfish ambition. They think, in their little old heads, that they should be equal or better than their brother, the little brother, Moses. There, you can see the little attitude, right? I changed your diaper, Moses. And I, you know, he's this attitude from Mary and him. It was like, we changed your diaper. It wasn't for me. You would have died in that Nile. You could hear it. We see not only here, but also in the New Testament. The New Testament warns of selfish ambition. Wanting the calling of that particular man or that particular woman. It's not enough what God is already asking you to do. You want more. Selfish ambition. Self-interest. Self-gain. Self-notoration. And they're willing to tear in a body of people, of believers, and tear them apart. Or tear apart the body of Christ to gain the position of another. That is, unfortunately, part of a congregation, congregational life. 
If you've ever been part of a church split where people have tried to gain power and position and, and, and take over and kinds of things and dogs, but they start with whispering in the outer edges and they start finding like little clicks to, to, to whisper and try to gain some positioning and power to try to influence and all kinds of things. There's so selfish ambitions there. It's they're okay with the fact that it would split a church or rip the body of Christ apart. And if you ever went through that, here's the this is the sad part about it is because thank God we've never done that. Thank God it's never happened. Why? Because God has protected us. But what happens is when you watch and listen, and as people come into the congregation, you listen to the horror stories of what happened at those churches, and you find that these people are so blinded by selfish ambition, they could care less about really what the effects is on the body of Christ. Because what happens is it, it splits the people, people start scattering to different places, they don't know where to go, and typically about one-third of the people never even go to church again. That's what happens. People stop going to church altogether because they weren't strong in the Lord at the day. And they're seeing this is what it means to be in a loving body and unity of Christ that they talk about. No, it's completely everyone's after each other. Satan is having a field day. And the challenge with family, it's challenge with the inner circle coming and rebelling, is they feel freer to criticize the family member who's the leader. They feel like, that's family. I can say whatever I want to say about him. I can say and do whatever I want to say about her. Because I'm family. They have to deal with it. No, that's not how it works. And we're going to see how God sees it. See, on one hand, it seems strange that his sister and brother of all people would be the source of such criticism and rebellion. It's like it's shocking, I'm sure. Moses was probably absolutely shocked when this came to light. Even though he's probably kind of heard the grumblings from the sister and from the brother and stuff. But he probably said, okay, that's my sister and brother. They're, you know, they're just, you know. You might think that they would be Moses' greatest support because they're family. Yet it's not unusual for a prophet to be without honor among his own people. We see in Matthew 13, verses 57. And we know by the language here where it says Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Spoke is a female verb here, meaning Miriam is the one that started this whispering campaign and rebellion against her little brother. Aaron, what do you think? Have you had enough with the little brother? Yeah. Can you see what he's doing? Why does he get all the one to do this? Oh, God, he's, he's always the one God's using. Why? We're going to see this complaining and murmuring and rebelling in the hearts of her because two things. One is that it's that female verb there spoke, plus her name is before Aaron. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Aaron should have been first in the way the Hebrew language and then certainly Middle East culture. Miriam should not be first, but God made sure it's clear who started this little whisper campaign against Moses. Miriam took the lead in this rebellion. 
She was the principal person to rally the people, in this case with Aaron, to start attacking Moses. And this was the very first reason that was given why they're raising up against the leadership of Moses. Notice this. The first reason for their, their criticism was based upon the fact that Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Now, it's interesting. Most people automatically think of Ethiopia of today. That's not in the, in the scripture. Ethiopian or the Ethiopia would have been Cush or Cush, C-U-S-H, Cush, the Cushonites. Not Ethiopia of what we think of the country today. But the ancient land of Cush. And see, some people think Zipporah, who was Moses' wife, a Menianite, as we know in the scripture, had died. And this was the second wife that we're talking about that Moses took after her death. But nowhere in the scripture shows that she died. So you can't really say that's that's, that's a guarantee. But at the same time, we also know that Moses at this time is about 81 years of age. So yes, his age had enough time where he would have maybe lost his Zipporah and and remarried and and stuff like that. But there's nowhere in the scripture showed that she actually died. So some people then say, well, he took on another wife, an additional wife. But again, doesn't show that. But still others suggest that Jethro, if you remember, his father-in-law, Zipporah's father, was actually from Ethiopia and had moved to Median. So Zipporah was this Ethiopian woman that is being referred to in the scriptures, who's from Media. One clue that I see that shows there's a close relationship between Ethiopia, or the Cushion. Cushionites, the cushion, and the median is in Habakkuk 3.7. Habakkuk 3.7 says, the Habakkuk the prophet says, saw the tents of the cushion in reflection and the curtains of the land of median trembled, meaning they were connected somehow. So I lean on the fact that who this Ethiopian woman is actually referring to Zipporah. And they are now using that after a year, after a period of time. She's raising that up going, Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Well, first of all, there was nothing wrong with him being able to do that. This criticism against Moses marrying this Ethiopian woman was his wife, I believe, was over something she, she had no control over. Zipporah was, was, was a cush. She was from that culture. She didn't have a, a, a say over that. And he was allowed to marry someone from Cush. Why? Because it, during the time in, the, in, in, in Egypt and in the, in the, the, during across the, the desert, God did not put a restraint on uh, marrying a foreigner. It wasn't until they got into the promised land that God gave the law that said you could not um, marry an outsider. Prior to that, he could have done that. So when she's sitting there and the two of them are coming and complaining and, and grambling and trying to take over the power or take over what Moses is doing as a leader, they needed to stop and think here. Their complaint 
was not a biblical issue. It wasn't based on a biblical basis for overthrowing his leadership position. Why? Because it wasn't unbiblical, it wasn't unethical, and it wasn't immoral. It was a petty complaint or a petty uh, 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 excuse of raising up, stirring up the hearts of people to start looking negatively on upon the leader of Moses. And that's usually a first clue. When you're sitting there and you're having a cup of coffee or you're sitting over on the side and someone draws you away from to the outer skirts of everyone else and starts just complaining and nipping and biting. Little, the sheep can bite. Sheep will start biting at the leaders or leader or the wife of the pastor. Just little snips and trying to raise something up. To see who is going to gain some following with them. That's how it starts. But it was unbiblical. It wasn't unethical and it certainly wasn't immoral that he married an Ethiopian woman. So, but now we're going to see here what the second excuse is or second reason for the complaint or over trying to overthrow the, the leadership here and that is going to be the real reason not the Ethiopian woman look at this in verse 2 so they said has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses has he not spoken through us also and the Lord heard it <laughs> This should should really cause everyone to open their ears right now. Because what they were getting together is, Aaron, come here, come here, Aaron, listen to me. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Is he the only one God's speaking to here? Or has he spoken through us too, you know? They think, and they're trying to plant a seed that says that Moses is prideful and he shouldn't be in a leadership and be the one in leading this congregation. Hasn't God used us too, you know? Haven't God gifted us to do and lead people too, don't you? I should be a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, shouldn't we be leaders? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But notice there in verse 2, and the Lord hears everything. God sees all things. He hears all things. He knows all things. And God made it clear in the scripture for us. And the Lord heard those two little people on the side rebelling and bringing something together to go against Moses, God's leader. Woo, watch out. Watch this. This is, it gets even better here. Because the attack attempt to put on Moses and put Moses down and make him seem proud and seem somehow he's not, shouldn't be the leader. Or there should be multiple leaders. Not just one leader. We should all three be co-leaders in this congregation. You know that, right, Aaron? Right? Like we, God's speaking to us too. So it should be the three of us that should go up to God. And not just Moses to the mountaintop. Not just Moses that gets to be one-on-one with God. It should be all three of us with God at all times. We should be leading them all together. That's how it's supposed to be. And this is what the real charge is against Moses. 
He's a prideful man. He shouldn't be in the position by himself only. So when you sit there and you read this scripture, you can sit there and go, okay, let's go back to what we've been studying, right? The question is, did the Lord indeed only speak through Moses? No and yes. That's the answer. Why? Because, well, of course, the Lord has spoken to many through the book of Exodus. When we study the book of Exodus, the Lord spoke to the people through Aaron in Exodus 4.30. He spoke to Aaron in Exodus 12.1. Miriam herself spoke words inspired by God in Exodus 15.21 to the women. But in the sense of there being one leader for Israel, there was only one that God appointed, and that was Moses. And it was under God's hand and God's authority that gave Moses the accountability of that leadership of leading God's people. That was God appointed. That wasn't self-appointed by Moses. If you remember, Moses didn't want it in the beginning. He didn't want to speak. He didn't want to talk to Pharaoh at all. We just got done saying, you might as well kill me here because this is a lot of weight of responsibility. I want out of here. But God didn't release him that easily, did he? But they asked this simple, this, this little question. Hasn't God, didn't that sound a little familiar to you when I read it? Has God said, doesn't that sound familiar to you? Back in the Garden of Eden. That's how it works. Satan's tricks are nothing new. He uses the same method to get into the heads of people, to get them to move and to cause division and cause this disunity within the body of Christ. Can God give one man the authority to lead his people? Of course he can. Of course he can. The Old Testament and New Testaments are filled with this kind of leadership that God has appointed this man over a body of believers to lead them according to God's ways. We see that certainly in Moses' life. We saw it in Joshua's life. We saw it in David's life, Daniel's life, James' life, Peter's life, Paul's life, Timothy's life, Titus' life, and in Jesus' life. And we're supposed to take Jesus' leadership style and we're supposed to do the same thing in the congregations of today, of the, new, of the church. Now every now and then, We'll hear some kind of critical spirited person or someone talking against of this one man ministry. That it shouldn't be a one man ministry. That it should be a, a elder congregation or the congregation led kind of a leadership. It's not scriptural. But many people want to go down that path, and you can find churches that will lead that way, but I don't see it scripturally. But notice here at the very end of that verse, and the Lord heard it. Of course God heard it. God hears all these things. God always does. He hears according to truth, not according to mere appearance. Miriam and Aaron, as is often the case, were accusing Moses of the same, very same sin that was motivating them to make the accusation against another. Nothing new under the sun. We see it in leadership of our government today. 
They're quick to say things when it's actually them that's actually doing it. They're the one that had the pride. They're the one that was selfish ambition. They're the one with envy who wanted the position or co-equal or position of what Moses had. They weren't content with what God was already doing in their lives in, in, the, in, uh, in among the people. They always want more. They resented Moses being in the position that he was in. But they failed to understand something very important. All of God's people are equal in God's eyes. God loves all the people equal. He doesn't love Moses more than Miriam and Aaron or any of the people who are of the two to three million. He loves them all. Our Lord died for all. God loves them all. But love and authority among his people are very different. God has given a calling and a gifting to successfully lead and with authority of his people, God's church. And he appoints men with that calling to pastor, leader, that calling to do that work. And God hears all things. And he heard their whisper campaign against Moses by their selfish ambition and envy. And look in verse 3 what he now will lay out very clearly to them and for us today. We see here in verse 3, and now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. In my Bible, we have a little parentheses around it or brackets around it. Some believe after Moses' death that that was, that was added to the scriptures to bring a point across because perhaps Joshua, who would have known Moses very well, may have done that. Either way, it is in the scriptures. It was God-led by the Holy Spirit to make sure it was in the Scriptures to define that well, how and who Moses is. He was a humbled man. Not just a humbled man, but more than all men who were on the face of the earth. See, Moses didn't have a problem with pride. Even though he was falsely accused of having pride. The accusers, his own family, his sister and brother were the ones with the pride problem, not him. How do we know that? Well, we just read in chapter 11, verse 27 through 29. Do you remember Ildad and Medad? There's God called the 70 elders to come to help raise them up as they were already doing the work. They're just being now identified, these leaders in the, among the, the two to three million who were leading the people already. They were already doing the work. And that's how God appoints people to be elders. He just sees what God has gifted them to do. They start doing it and they get identified. So these 70 are being identified. They're all being called to come to the tabernacle. But two people, Ildad and Medad, did not come for some reason but so when God um, brought this spirit that was upon Moses put and put the same spirit upon these 68 he also put it on the two that were still back in the tent do you remember what happened after that 
the supporters of, of Moses came running in. Hey, 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 boss. Two guys, two of the dudes over here, they got the Spirit of God. They're prophesying. They weren't here. They need to stop, don't they? they they're not doing what they're doing. And what did, what did Moses say? As a humbled man. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. That is great. Matter of fact, I wish the whole congregation had the spirit of that's upon me, now upon these 70, would be upon them all because we'll all be doing the work of God. He was a humbled man. He didn't have to sit there, well, we're going to only have to, let me control this. And they didn't do exactly what I want. No. He was a humbled man. He knew God was in control. He knew God's the one that's anointing these people and these two over here. He didn't have a, he wasn't, it wasn't him doing the work. It's God doing all the work. He's just seeing it happen and doing what God told him to do to make sure these 70 were identified and brought and, and be anointed. And it's important. To see, Moses didn't start out as the most humbled man, did he? He was not a humbled man on earth. He grew up a proud, confident in his abilities, being raised up and privileged in the Egyptian royalty. And it was only time, desert time, <laughs> when God took him into the desert and had to work in and humble him, that humbling time in the desert that separated him so that he could be God could work in his life and change his life, where it made him humble and greatly be usable by God as a godly man. You could be the most prideful, self-centered person today, but once God comes into your life and he takes you and puts you in a desert experience and a time of isolation, time where you're, he's molding and shaping you and changing you through heat and pressure and all kinds of things and testing to bring you about to become that humbled, usable man of God. And it will happen to all of us if God's going to use you and you desire to have to be used by God in, in and through the ministry. There's going to be a humbling process that will take place. Now notice here, in verse 4 and 5, we see now God is going to deal with Miriam and Aaron. Look what happens. In verse 4, suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam. See, in the proper order. Moses the leader, Aaron was the high priest. Now Miriam, look at this proper order. Come out, you three. To the tabernacle of meeting, so the three came out. Now, I sit there and I read that and I go, did they hear his voice? Literally hear his voice? How did he communicate to the three of them? Out of all the people, you three, I'm calling you out. By name. Come on out. What would be your first impressions? What, what would be the first thing to come to your mind if God literally said to your name, and the other two, and says, come out. You, you were like, oh. Now, Moses is used to communicating with God. But think about this. A selfish ambition, a selfish ambitious person, an envious person, would think differently than what Moses, a humbled man, would be thinking right now. Look at what happens in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, ooh, 
and stood in the door of the tabernacle. He's down now in their face. And watch what he does. And called Aaron and Miriam. (laughs) And they both went forward. Now what do you think they're thinking? We don't know exactly what they were thinking. But if you're a selfish, ambitious person, and envy, and you think in your mind that you should be co-equal leaders with Moses, I lean to the fact that they're sitting there going, I think God is actually going to answer what we've been talking about. I think we're going to get recognized. We're going to be identified with Moses. We're going to, three of us, we're going to be leading these people. God is going to do this. Oh, that was really wrong thinking, right? See how thinking in your heart and when you're so, so blinded in darkness, because this is dark, what they're doing in rebelling and murmuring and complaining and going against the leader, even though it's family, this is darkness. It's dark. What happens? Look what happens. God calls Aaron and Miriam and they, they both went forward and that says, suddenly the Lord reacted. I think suddenly the Lord is coming. And suddenly God would, is going to clearly communicate because he's right down, right amongst them, right in the door of the tabernacle. The tabernacle re- represented what? God's presence, his authority. This is where, this is the center of the, of the tent. No question. He's present. Look at what happens. Verse 6, then he said, hear now my words. Oh, see, I stop and I underline that in my Bible. Because all along, Miriam and Aaron's been just talking and doing their words. They've been just talking, talking, whisper, whisper, complain, complain, criticize, criticize, critical heart, rebellious. How do we get equal? God says, wait, 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 look at me. Okay, I'm, I just came down to your level. I called you out. Now look at me. And he says, now hear my words. If there is a prophet among you. Now that's interesting. Why? Because Miriam was a prophetess. But, no, but look at here. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision and I speak to him in a dream. So if I'm going to call someone out to be a prophet... I'm going to show up in his in a vision, in a dream at night in the darkness, and I'm going to show him that he's going to be a prophet. That's how I speak to someone I'm calling out to be a prophet. And that's great. That's wonderful. That's incredible. God speaking to you in, your, in a vision and a dream about what God wants to call you to do. That is incredible. But notice this. Compared to what he's going to sell in verse 7, look what now what happens. Not so with my servant Moses. Now, if I was Aaron and Miriam, I'd be sinking right now. Because God just said, my servant Moses. He is what? Faithful in all my house. So God is calling out and actually coming to represent. He knows all things. He sees all things. He hears all things. And he's telling them who Moses is. 
He's a servant, my servant. He is faithful. He's faithful in, in all my house. Every aspect of his life, in all my house, he is faithful. Verse 8, I speak with him face to face. I don't go into a dream. I don't give him a vision. I am actually face to face with him, communicating intimately with him. That is how it works when I call you. What? Notice it. Even plainly and not in dark sayings like vision and dreams. And he sees the form of the Lord. Moses sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verse 9, so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. Ooh, what was his anger like? Was there a little thunder going on in that cloud that was down there in front of the tabernacle? Did the cloud get really dark? <laughs> How did he express his anger? How, you know, but he departed. But notice this. This is incredible because the basis of the complaint of Miriam and Aaron was absolutely essentially needs to be addressed because they're saying that He's nothing compared. We're at least equal to them. Who does he think he is to be the only leader of this congregation? And God spoke for Moses directly. Have you noticed Moses in this entire chapter has said not one word? Not one word. God is speaking for him. And God brings to light in front of these two people and all that we're watching. This is my servant. He is faithful. And I have intimate relationship with him. I come face to face with him as the person I have chosen to lead my people. To a degree where he can see the form of me. I, it's not the fact that he can see face to face. It's not the fact that he can see his body. Why? Because we know that no man can see God directly. We know this. Why? Because the, God spoke to Moses in this, 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 this way of saying face to face. It means that he has an intimacy. Because Exodus 33, 20 says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. He's speaking of telling of this great unhindered intimacy that Moses had with God and God with Moses in leading his people and doing what God's called him to do. Moses enjoyed this intimate relationship with God. And seeing a form of the Lord, meaning it's just this this. this I identify of who he is in my, when he's in my presence. I just, I can know that he's there. And when God sits there and says, he's my servant, Moses. He is faithful in my, all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in some other ways I do with other people. But this is an absolutely remarkable communion with God that Moses had and God had with Moses. Why is that important? Because God needed to have a man 
with an intimate relationship with God. God needed this faithful man that's going to have an intimate communion with him to be able to communicate effectively and plainly so that he could lead God's people. He needed to be humbled. He needed to have this genuine mindset and heart for other people and not for himself. It wasn't just a job, it was a calling of God. And he needed to be faithful. He needed to be faithful in all aspects of his life. His walk of righteousness and purity had to be demonstrated. And it was demonstrated over 40 years of being observed in the, in the service of God. In the smallest of things and revealed of this faithful heart God saw in Moses. And then God asked a very interesting question. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God is asking this simple question. I, am, I have a relationship with this man Moses, and you can speak against this man and not think I'm hearing this? You know why? Because Miriam and Aaron was, even as a high priest and a prophetess, was not walking rightly with God. They were walking in darkness. They were blinded. Darkness caused them not to recognize and understand who their God is. And they made a very foolish mistake. It wasn't that Moses was beyond criticism. He wasn't a perfect leader. Moses was not to be simply obeyed and praised and never confronted or asked tough questions or, or even to be lifted up and be worshipped. That was not what you're supposed to do with the leader. That's not what God's saying. In fact, another relative of Moses, his father-in-law, Jethro, actually confronted Moses and asked him tough questions. And was greatly used of God in helping that man to grow in his leadership position. We see that in Exodus 18. God says, Miriam, Aaron, you should have been very afraid for speaking and murmuring and rebelling against my leader that I've appointed over the people. You should have been very afraid. Because you're not going against Moses. You're not coming and attacking Moses. You're actually attacking me. Look what happens. So the anger of the Lord arose against them and he departed. He made it very evident this was not acceptable. There is going to be a consequence for you doing this. It's interesting. He actually puts protections in the scripture for leadership. In 1 Timothy 5.19, it says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So God put him in Scripture to protect because this has a tendency to happen when a gathering of God's people come together. There's going to be the enemy in the flesh of men and can really raise up in very bad ways. And so God has put in some protection around the elders of the congregation. But notice here in verse 10, the consequence was happening here. Even though he got angry, he left. Notice what happens. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. 
Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Woo! Talk about a moment. God departs and instantly turned her into a leper. Not initial stages, but the, ex- ex- the advanced stages where you're now ashy white. You're decaying. Your body's literally decaying on the outward. As white as snow. She is what they call the walking dead at this moment in this disease of leprosy. She is now an example of what was on her inside in her heart is now God says, let me bring it on the outside so everyone can see what your inside, your heart was like. What happened here? I envision her, did she even know she became a leper? And and then Aaron looked at her and said, whoa, sis, you're as white as stuff. You're a leper. Oh my gosh, you're unclean. No, I don't think that's what happened. I think she immediately recognized she must have gasped. He turned, Aaron looked, and turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. And I think this is absolutely a shocking moment for the two of them, and probably even Moses. But God is so incredible. He could have just had her die. Boom. Both of them. Boom. Stop their hearts, just like that. But he gave her leprosy. Why? Because I believe the first reason is leprosy would immediately isolate her from all the people. Immediately. Because with leprosy, immediately you had to walk away outside the camp and get away from everyone so they didn't catch the disease. That caused her from not being able to murmur and complain and whisper and spread that cancerous uh, rebellion with anybody else. She was immediately isolated. Brilliant. God is saying, you are unclean influence among my people You cannot be around my people. This complaining and jealousy and envy, this is spiritual disease and you will rot from the inside out, get out of the camp. This unclean inwardly is now brought outwardly so that people can see what truly who you are. And the second reason It communicated to all the people. God said, Moses is the man, not Miriam. Don't listen to her. Don't follow her. You now know what the consequences are. Made it very clear. She, once it came to light, what was inside the heart, inside the mind, came out. And this person, this rebellious leader, Miriam and Aaron, it came out to light. And when that happened, you must immediately separate them from the congregation or they become cancer to the rest of the congregation. They must be separated out. And that's exactly what God did. That's how he deals with rebellious leaders within a congregation. Notice here in verse 11. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord. 
Please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when she comes out of his mother's womb. Aaron, why he wasn't made a leper at the same time? Obviously, God had another plan. Because right there, Aaron immediately turns to Moses and says, Oh my Lord, you're master. You're in control. I am recognizing it. So you can see Miriam was pulling Aaron in because he quickly recognized who Moses is. He also said, please do not lay this sin on us. He immediately identified the fact that he was right there confessing what they did was sin. It was wrong. We have done foolishly in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be. He's asked for forgiveness. Look at that. Cleansing of one person who is in sin. This is the model right here. Immediately recognizing your brokenness that you are absolutely be broken. Humbled. But you're confessing and repenting of sin and asking for forgiveness. That is how you can restore a relationship. Humbleness will bring about a brokenness, a confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And that's exactly what he did. He was quickly. Why? Because Aaron was so easily swayed, was he not? He's a man in leadership who can be easily swayed by others. He was swayed, remember, at the bottom of the mountain and the congregation caused him to make him to create the golden calf and the golden cow, right? The calf and then start worship. He was very in, easily influenced as a leader and that is never a good trait in a leader. And he was swayed by his own sister the instigator to cause this uprising, rebelling against Moses. But he immediately said, Moses, your master, your Lord. In verse 13, so Moses cried out to the Lord. Here's the first thing that Moses says. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. Talk about a short, direct prayer to God. There was no bluff. It was direct supplication, was it not? Please hear her, oh God, I heal her, oh God, I pray. Very first word spoken of by Moses in this chapter, and we see that he is interceding for his sister right there. When a leader perceives accusations are petty against him or faults against him, or self-motivated, the right thing to do is to ignore them, to not to engage with that. Why? Because if you do, what's going to happen is that leader will never win when people are coming against you. When they're falsely making accusations against you, what actually they're doing, you never engage and try to defend yourself and try to justify and, and to prove that they're wrong. If they're not in a right mind to even hear it because their heart is so wrong. So you sit and you listen, but you say nothing.
Why? Because in Isaiah 53, 7 is a perfect. Jesus was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Didn't open his mouth. Matthew 5, 44 is the best verse. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That is a heart after God. People are spiting you and coming against you and accusations and stuff. You show kindness and gentleness, long-suffering. You show love back. Because kindness can lead to repentance for people. Moses gave him room. God came and dealt with it. He did not have to deal with it. But he then interceded and said, please heal her, O God, I pray. And what did God do in verse 14? Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had put spit in her face, would she not be ashamed seven days? Why is that he's saying that? Because in the Middle East, when you're really looking down a person, someone you're just see him as a dog, you spit on him. That's what happens. So he says, if her father had spit in her face, would she not be ashamed for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again, and afterward the people moved from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So, we can see here, God received Moses' intercession to save the sister, Miriam. God is going to use this situation because there was repenting hearts. Aaron was doing all the talking there, but you can imagine Miriam was with it because he used the word we. We, we have done foolishly. So he was interceding there for her. So they were like-minded with this. And because of that, God said, okay, just like if the father spit in her face and she has to bear seven days or she'll be ashamed for seven days, everyone's going to see that she did something that wasn't good. And bring to light what her heart needs to change. Well then we're going to sit here. And because she is uh, leprous. I am going to heal her. But she has to be outside the camp for seven days. And then he showed grace. Did he not? He showed mercy. He, He healed her. She didn't deserve getting healed. He healed her. But then they showed grace. Because they didn't leave her behind. The camp stopped until she had the seven-day period finished of isolation and then brought back into camp. And then the whole entire congregation started moving. That's grace. Because they could have left her in the desert by herself and left her and said, try to figure out a way to catch up to us. But God used this tremendously to change the heart of two leaders within the congregation, Miriam and Aaron. And we see that he, she obviously both had a repenting heart, confessing heart, brokenness. And God restored her because he healed her and allowed her to come back in after seven days. But everybody knew as an example of what took place of what they tried to do against God's leader, Moses. 
Because of the fact, and now make this point, because of the fact that they were acknowledged their sin, confessed that sin, repented of that sin, and asked for forgiveness, they were restored and allowed to come back in the congregation. If they do not do that, they do not come back into the congregation. They must immediately leave because they have unrepented heart. That's how you deal with leaders within a congregation that rebels and goes against leadership. That's how it works. Now it's interesting. Back in the day, this was the only congregation. Where are they going to go? Where was she going to go? Where was Aaron going to go? Today, it's very different because today, people who will rise up and do that, like Miriam and Aaron, if you don't, if you don't agree with a leader position of, a, uh, of one man leadership, which surrounded with elders and, and leaders to help and support, and that model, if you don't like it, it's okay. There's a hundred other churches down the road. Go find one that fits your, that, that thing you want to go there. You want to rise up and be a leader even though you don't qualify and it's not a calling stuff? I'm sure someone else will take you. But they didn't have that choice back then. But the process still happens the same way. If someone rises up and rebels and their hearts are not right, and they're selfish and vicious and envy and jealousy and wickedness, a darkness in their heart, and they're not willing to repent and be broken and ask for forgiveness and be restored, they got to go. Find another congregation that will go there, grow, and be a blessing to God wherever other, other church you want to be in. You're just not going to be here. This is tough, tough teaching tonight. It's not easy, but God is very wise. 